beautiful people happy wednesday it's the middle of the week i'm babs rose ivy if it's around nine it's time for love babs love talk <laughs> happy wednesday happy wednesday uh i think it's bright and shiny out there in the elm this morning it looks bright and shiny so bulk trash finally came i just want to share that because i put out bulk trash today yesterday i put out a section of it was a section of in my house and uh, and then when I moved here, it came with. Um, but I had scheduled it for last. I, you know, you go and you make the schedule because I needed to get out because it's just not going to be for the design aesthetic. But every time I wanted to move it, some child would have to camp on it because, you know, they're trying to get their lives together. So they so, you know, one by one, each of them have slept on the couch at some point. So anyway, um, everyone was out of the house except Margo this particular time. I thought, all right, let me get rid of this thing now because it's so big. <laughs> and so it got to the curve, although my son is staying here right now for a little bit while he gets it together. And But anyway, the, the couch had to go. So it went out. So, you know, people drive by bulk trash stuff and look for things. I saw it happen when I lived on my house in Bellevue. And uh, we put stuff out and people would just come get it before bulk trash pickup. So same thing happened here. So somebody came and got the, the sofa. And then we just put some more stuff out last night. But I had a chair that belonged to my mom. My mother had two uh, uh, wing chairs and they were in my basement at my house. And my basement had flooded. So one of them got badly damaged you know like you know how water can just make mold but the other one was okay but it was you know still smelled moldy but it was okay it didn't didn't sustain damage that way so I brought it with me here but I could never get rid of that mold smell no matter what I did no matter how much washing how much Febreze it was just in it so I had to let it go so I put it on the curb yesterday uh, and then this morning, I, I was like, washing, how much Febreze. It was just in it. So I had to let it go. So I put it on. So I was going to. So I got up this morning with the belief feeling. I was feeling a little bit like, I don't know if I want to give up that chair. And so uh, I was going to go. I was going to get up this morning and bring it back in the house. But then when my daughter went to work, she said, oh, yeah, they just came and picked up the bulk trash. And I was like. I felt kind of sad about it. Now, my mother's been dead for 20 some odd years. It was time to let go of the chair. Intellectually, I know that. But emotionally, I was feeling a little sad about that. I'm still a little sad about it. You know, because then I was thinking, well, I could have done something with the chair. I could have, I could have, you know. And, and, you know, and I think this is the lesson in sometimes you just have to let things go. Even if you don't want to let things go, 
It's in your best interest to let things go because it doesn't serve you. And if the chair is not serving you, why are you keeping it? And that's true for anything and everything that is in your life. If it doesn't serve you, and serve you meaning not not in an egotistical way and not in a, a selfish way, but in a way that makes sense to what you're trying to do in your life. Simple as that. And so once I came to grips with that, I could still be sad about it because sadness is a real emotion. And it's not an emotion that you have to push away or stuff down. It is an emotion that you can absolutely experience and walk through and not have it like turn you upside down. So yeah, so I'm a little sad about the chair because, and I know, and this is the other part of this. The chair is not my mother. The chair is not a physical manifestation of my mother. It is not my mother, but she sat in the chair. She loved the chair and, and it went with a whole furniture set. Now I gave away the furniture set when she died. We decided as my family, we didn't want it because my mother, it was very white, this furniture. It was like ivory. It was no way I was having ivory furniture in my house. Um, and so off it went. Uh, but I kept the wing chairs because they meant something to me. And I just like the look of a wing chair, you know. But, you know, I, but I understand this from a long time ago, that if you if you, you cannot receive gifts with closed fist, and the chair was representing a closed fist. So I had to release the chair. And I knew it. I mean, I've known it for quite some time. So, so yeah. So I did it. It's done. <laughs> I did it. It's done. Ho-hum. I did it. It's done. Ho-hum. Uh, and it's just, you know, it's a little, it's a little heartbreaking, a little sad, but that's where we are. So, so that's my, that's my sad chair story for this morning. You know, and it's all right to be sad. I want people to understand it's okay to be sad. People think they have to hide emotions all the time and, and can't show, you know, or express their real feelings about a thing. It's all right. It, healthy. It's healthy to sort of say, I, that breaks my heart or that makes me sad or I'm not in despair. It's not despair. I'm genuinely sad about the chair, you know, uh, but that's just what it is. And I know it's just going to go to the dump or somebody will pick it up at the dunk, junkyard or whatever, but that's just what it is. So drinking my morning coffee, my cafe Bustello, with my adaptogen creamer and a little MCT oil because I'm weight training. And when I go on break, I'm going to make me an egg, some eggs, because I need to eat something before I go to the gym. Uh, so I went to Burlington last night. You know, these stores get on my damn nerves so much. So, you know, the woman was taking all the little sensors and there were sensors on the sock. And I said to her when she was doing her little thing, I said, you know, just make sure you get all the sensors because I don't want to come back. I think she was just being an asshole or whatever. So she, so now I got to go back because she didn't take the sensor off a sock. One sock. It was a pack of socks and there's a sensor just on one. I, and a part of me just wants to throw the whole damn thing away. Not all the socks, just that one sock. But then I'd be without a sock. So I'm going to go up there today and have them take the sensor off the sock. And they better not say a damn thing to me about it. 
or I'll be calling somebody for bail. I know, just the season. See what I mean? I have to get up every morning and believe I see the Christ and I fail miserably. I'm, I haven't even got out the door and I've already failed. <laughs> I'm only human, flesh and blood. You know, so that's just where I am. <laughs> Don't mind me. I'm about to get into Advent because I said we're going to do Advent every day while I'm on air, not on the weekends. I do it on the weekends, but I'm not here on the weekends. So uh, so I'm going to just go and do, uh, I'm just going to read up the Advent. So this, today is day six. And I, I'm uh, I already put it out there on Facebook that we're gonna we're gonna have Christmas caroling. So I got to look at some dates. Uh, and I think I, somebody asked me to do it in Fairhaven too. I don't know how that's gonna work. It's not gonna be twelve days of Christmas. I mean, we'll sing twelve days of Christmas, but it's not gonna be twelve days of caroling. It's gonna be like three days of caroling because Christmas is nineteen days away. And I still have to do Christmas cards. And I still have to do um, The World Needs More Love Letters. And I'm waiting to hear back from Lauren when a day I could gather people to do these love letters. It's one of my favorite things. And I hope that people will will be, uh, will be will feel the same way when they do it. You know, it really is a wonderful, a wonderful thing. So let's get into, let's get into, uh, let's get into our daily uh, Advent reading. Because I, I really want y'all to feel the feel get into the spirit of it, the grounding of it. And you don't have to be Christian to get into it. Do you know what I mean? Like I, I really want to make that clear to people. Cause, you know, people, people, people put um so many labels and barriers. So anyway, so Hannah Brencher, who I'm such a fan of, uh, is doing the season of Advent, the season of Advent. And she does it every year. And it's a 25-day journey through the story of Advent. And I love it. And this year, she gave it to us ahead of time, all the lessons. And so uh, and you just follow along at your leisure, at your pace. So before I started doing this on the radio this year, I just would read them in my bed to myself. But now I feel like, you know, I'm going to share it with y'all. So, uh, so here's uh, six. Five months of savoring. Luke 1, the scripture is Luke 1, 23 through 25. And so this is in Hannah Brencher's words, not my words. I'm just reading what she wrote, you know. So we are packing up camp and moving forward in the story. Full steam ahead, friend. After Zachariah is visited by the angel Gabriel, Elizabeth gets pregnant. When Elizabeth finds out that A, the Lord has heard her cries, and B, she is pregnant in old age, ooh, I do not wish to be Elizabeth. <laughs> she does something that absolutely stuns me. She spends the next five months in seclusion, tucked away, off of social media, phone in airplane mode. You get the point. Homegirl holds herself up for five months to be alone with God and savor the miracle of her pregnancy. Elizabeth practically created maternity leave. 
Elizabeth was like, I'm overjoyed. I'm going to revere God in this moment because I'm an old lady. I'm about to have a baby, something I always wanted to do. My, my fertility is no longer in question. That is dedication on a whole new level. I marvel when I managed to get along with God for more than an hour, but can you imagine what it would be like to get along with him for five whole months? No. <laughs> Every waking and sleeping breath, I'm not going to lie. There are big parts of me that I feel like this would be impossible for me. Well, if you go to prison, I mean, it's the same thing. <laughs> if this were me and I'm getting the best news of my life, if the impossible was suddenly possible, then I'm shouting it from the rooftops. I'm telling everyone. I'm writing the Instagram post right now. Baby, I would. Imagine the naysayers in Elizabeth's life. Imagine the people who likely told her, hey, I think you should give up on that prayer for a baby at this point because you're too old to bear a child. People never mind their own damn business. <laughs> I'm paraphrasing in there. If I'm Elizabeth, I'm dressing up my baby bump and I'm heading into town square to tell every human with ears to listen that God's goodness is a real thing. I'd show those naysayers a big old pregnant belly-sized God miracle. And don't get me wrong, God loves the praise that comes off our lips. But God is most honored and most pleased when we get along with him because he, even without the miracles, is worth being praised. When was the last time you got away with God just to savor what had already he had already done in your life? Oh, I do it quite often. When was the last time you witnessed God doing something beautiful in your life? All the time. Just me saying that. And you spent time thanking him first before sharing it on social media. Yeah, I am a, I am a spiritually mature. So I got that. I wanted to leave you with a challenge today. So this is for y'all out there who don't do this. And I'm not making a judgment. I'm just giving you permission to like think about it. This year is about to end. If we aren't careful, we will skip right from Christmas into the new year. We will hit December 26th and we will set our goals and sprint towards the new year, believing we're suddenly the people who eat kale, unplug our phones, go to the gym daily and practice skincare routines religiously. But I want to challenge you to pause at some point at this next week. Carve out a space, just 15 minutes. That's all. Set a timer in those 15 minutes. And I want you to go back and reflect on 2023. Reflect on the work you did and the big things that happened. Reflect on the small projects and the ordinary miracles you encountered. Reflect on the prayers you prayed and the good things God did in your life. Reflect on the things that hurt you and the things that didn't go your way in 2023. Carve out space to reflect with God before you start posting 2024 goals all over social media. God did something in 2023. Don't discount the beautiful and ruinous things that made you this year. 
Just make space to remember what God has done in the year behind you before you move forward into a new year. I believe this is what Elizabeth did throughout those five months alone with God. She reflected on his goodness. She worshiped. She made, made, she made much of him. She cultivated an inner relationship with God, and that was sustained her for the long haul. She dedicated time to say to God over and over again, thank you. This is wild. Thank you. It would have been easy for her to share the news as fast as she could. Instead, she paused. She waited. She savored. And in the savoring, her spirit was satisfied. Okay, so steal the prayer. Here's a prayer that you can take with you today. You know what I always say, take what you need and whatever you don't need, leave on the side of the road for somebody else. Dear God, I'm tempted to run towards the new year, towards new growth and new goals. Help me stop and pause, if only for a few minutes, to spend the last of 2023 remembering your faithfulness as I sit down to reflect, amplify the work and the growth you did in me. I'm ready to spend the last moments of 2023 savoring all you done. And that is the Advent message for today, saints. <laughs> Do with it what you will. <laughs> I think that's a good point because everybody's, uh, you know, everybody gets into resolution mode. Now, I, I have been uh, 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 working on my spiritual formation for uh, a decade and, and, and then the, the, for, for well over a decade. I've always been spiritual, but I've really dedicated building my spiritual muscle over the last decade. Um, and so I like where I am spiritually. Uh, uh, is it perfection? Hell no. <laughs> am I doing all the things? Hell no. <laughs> but I'm not starting from scratch. There's no starting from scratch. Uh, I'm not starting from scratch. So, so take the time before we get into the new year to just be in this year, be in 2023 proper before you jump into 2024. And I, I like this notion of reflecting. And I, you know, I, I was trying to figure out what kind of ways I should journal, journal. And I was like, well, I've done so many gratitude journals. I've kept diaries, but I think now a reflecting journal would be a good idea to just go about the day and just process the day. Not so much record the day, but to capture what I take away from the day. That might be a good use of my time. You know, as someone who uh, feels deeply about being present in the day and noticing God in the ordinary and romance in the ordinary, uh, you know, I, I, I'm... I, I can reflect on where I am in this moment. Um, and, and, you know, being on air like this is, is pretty much what that is, just reflecting. I don't report anything, you know, not telling people stuff they don't intuitively already know, spiritually, intellectually already know about who they are, where they are in the world. You know, I always say to people, you know, people, when people sort of have, uh, de dissolution, uh, desolation, and 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 despair. It's because they don't 
they don't like the answers of their life at the moment. And they and they and they feel a little bit powerless or helpless to make the changes necessary to get to the life that they want because they think it's going to be such a heavy lift that it's almost impossible. And it and it really isn't. I, I wish people could get to that place a little faster. It's not impossible to change your life. It really it just takes one step. And you know, God gives you enough light for the first step. And then you and then with that first step, you you gain some strength. And you are able to take the next step. And before the hell you know it, you're already up the stairs and down the road. Because people get intimidated when they see the whole staircase. And they say, oh, I couldn't possibly. You know, but, you know, when you put one foot in front of the other, you know, that's what it is. I'm 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 often asked, how did I overcome and come through? I just... One breath at a time. <laughs> I, you know, I have a friend uh, who was going through a very difficult time, and she sent me a message telling me what the time. And it's shocking. I haven't responded because I'm so shocked by it. Uh, but I, but I, I didn't go to condemnation in a way that I think most people would go to condemnation about the situation. You know, I as I age. I'm much more uh, prayerful and much more uh, in a state of grace and forgiving. Now, I, I'm not one of these people that believes in forgiveness for the sake of forgiveness. I I almost I almost don't really believe in forgiveness. I know people hate when I say that because they just think I'm holding on to some wound or something. And I assure you, I am not. I just think there are some things that just does not deserve your forgiveness, you know? And I know that's probably in antithesis to my faith in how God is such a forgiving God. But I, I recognize that I'm a work in progress, so there's that. Uh, uh, but for me, I just think there are some things that are not necessary for me to forgive. What I can do is give myself grace for what I was not able to do in any situation. I think that's the that's where I I land. I I don't I don't need to say to somebody, I forgive you because you stabbed me in the back or you wounded me. I I don't know how to come to that. I'm never going to come to that. But what I can do is give myself grace. And grace really is internal forgiveness, right? That's my own my own way of saying, you know what, Babs, there was nothing you could do in that situation but to react the way that you reacted. And even if there was something else that you could have done in that situation and you still reacted that way, cut yourself some damn slack. That's the grace for me. That's the best that I can do. I, I cannot forgive people for their stuff I, I don't I don't think I have to you know I don't think you have to to move on I think I think you can forgive yourself for the way that you behaved and the way that you responded and the way that you reacted in any situation I don't think you owe people forgiveness but that's that's something that I must wrestle with in my own maturity and in my own spiritual journey until I am until I am uh, convinced otherwise 
But I, I, but I think I'm on to something that is deeper than just like, oh, I forgive you. Let's just, let's just call it a day. Mm -mm. I think I have to say, I'm going to give myself some grace in this. And, and, and I may extend grace to you. I'm going to give you grace to get on out of my life and go ahead on down the road unharmed. <laughs> if that ain't forgiveness, I don't know what is. <laughs> but seriously, I, I, I wrestle with this whole forgiveness idea because people will say, well, forgiveness is not for you. It's, it's not for them. It's for you. I don't even want to attach myself to whoever did the egregious thing, the grievous thing. I don't, I, all I could do is say, let me make, let me make space. Let me hold sacred my position and, and, and get some understanding from, from myself about my response, my behavior, my actions in any matter. And that's it. And, you know, when people hurt you, sometimes there's nothing you can do except acknowledge that they hurt you and keep it pushing, you know. And I don't, I don't, I, I don't think anybody should hurt you because they think they have the right to hurt you. That, that makes no sense to me either. Well, you did this, so I must therefore do that. That's a choice. You're making a choice. You're just making a damn choice. And people can't stand to be wronged. They just can't. And and retaliation and revenge is so much part of the culture. Even though people will say, I, you know, whatever, it it is. It is. We that's what that's the basis of road rage. That's what the the basis of people murder for hire plots. That's the basis for angry divorces. Revenge. I just can't stand that you would have something that I do not wish to give you. And and if people really just settled into that and did some contemplative work and some discerning work about what are they really saying, then they could get past all this. But when you hyped up in the moment, it's it's very difficult. You know, it's very, very difficult. Um, you know, it's very difficult. And so, you know. Give yourself, cut yourself some grace. Now, listen, I'm not talking about these people who are murderers and pedophiles. And that's a different conversation. I was talking about everyday, ordinary, practical, ebb and flow kinds of things. Fall out with people, fight with people, walk away from people, disengage from people, divorce people. You know, I, I, uh, you know, I had a whole breakup with a friend who is no longer my friend. And I must say, although I, I miss that person, I am happier without that person in my circle. Well, how can that be, Babs? Because for the longest time, I believe I was divesting from that person. To, to, and, and not doing a good job. And not doing a good job. And I knew it. I knew it maybe two years in, two years out. But I was just like, well, oh, it was comfortable and it was easy. It didn't require a whole lot except the breaking of my own heart. You know, 
the breaking of my own heart. Uh, and it was such a it was such a heavy lift. But now I don't I, I can you can miss people and not want to be in their universe. And I miss this person, but I don't want to be in their universe. And I damn sure don't want them in my universe. And so we are adjacent because we've got folks in common, but our everyday interaction no longer exists. And I'm quite happy about that. <laughs> and, you know, I realized that, you know, when you interact with somebody and you are intentional and deliberate, you, you invite them in and you stay connected to them. And then when you don't, you you dissolve. And we were intentional about being connected to each other equally. Equally. And now I don't feel that way. And I, I'm happy. <laughs> like, like, I could care less. I don't think that's the right way to say it. I could care less. Uh, I, 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 I would be happy not seeing that person ever again. Not because I have some emotion or whatever. It's just that it just never, I just never feel like it's necessary. But I'm a Taurus and Tauruses get like that. You know, Tauruses can walk away from you and, and act as though you don't exist. And I've been like that my whole life. I don't know if that's a thing I should brag about. <laughs> I don't think I'm bragging about this. I'm just saying, I'm one of these people. If I leave you, I'm gone. <laughs> you know and I've been like a lot of people you leave people you come back to them you leave them you come back to them the second time around the third time but 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 once I make up in my mind to be gone I'm gone and there's no and then if I see you or whatever it'll be like I met you for the first time because I was like I don't I don't know you <laughs> I don't know you. And I've I've been like that my whole I've been like that my whole life. You know, once I once once I'm gone from you, I'm gone. And I don't have no kind of feeling about it one way or the other. Do you know what I mean? Like I don't I don't think about, oh, I wish. I only I only did that when I got divorced. Because I think, you know, marriage was the most sacred thing to me. The vows the commitment. I really, I am that person. Once I'm in that realm, I'm fully in it. And so when that ended, I did a lot of, uh, you know, what could have been or what could be. I spent a lot of time thinking about that. I, I spent a lot of time pining for a life that I thought I was being denied or deprived from. And I've never done that in any other relationship in my whole life I never I broke up with boyfriends and fiancés all that foolishness and I never once said oh I, I, let me imagine what this could have been like I only did that when I got divorced that was the only time and that was because the idea of marriage and the act of marriage is so was still is very sacred to me that's just what it is I, I, I'm not defending that. I'm just, I'm just letting you know. Uh, uh, 
I'm just letting you know how I how I think about these matters. And that's just what it is, you know. So if I'm gone from you, I'm gone from you. You know, I've got a, a ex-boyfriend who's been trying to reach me for the last, I don't know, several years. And, you know, he keeps changing his phone number and then calling me. And I do not respond. I do not answer. I just keep, you know, I get a text or a message. I just delete them and I block every new number because I, I, I'm not interested in conversing. I'm done. I'm not interested in what is happening or anything about you, you know? And I, and I, and I, I, I thought, well, then I, I never really thought, well, maybe I should entertain this. And I'm not like, I'm not even mad. I'm like, I'm always, I always think about this quote that I read in the Anne Lamott book. And her friend had said, uh, why go back for more where there was only less? And I, I hold that in my space, in my spirit all the time, particularly when I know when people don't come back to you correct, when they don't come back to you apologetic, when they come back with the same foolishness on their lips that caused you to push them out of your life to begin with, you know. And when they center themselves, when they try to center themselves in your story in a way that puts it on I, 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 I was like, get the hell out of here. You still, you still doing stupid stuff. You still talking that same old foolishness. You still about nothing. And I'm supposed to, my time is very, 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 very important to me. Very important. And although I do not believe in wasting time, I do not believe in squandering time. And I'm not going to engage with people who want to squander my time. You know, you done shown me a lifetime of what you're about. You've not changed. But I've, I've changed exponentially. So, deuces. <laughs> I just, I just don't, I just can't go back for more where there was only less. And I don't um, you know, I was I I I saw this thing about a woman a, a woman living alone is luxury, and that's how I feel. I do not feel compelled to be coupled. I do not feel compelled to be in a relationship. I and I think people, and and this might be harsh. I I I love so many people, and I am in relationship with some amazing people that I can't even imagine better, more. I just, it's so good. I'm in such a good, sweet spot that I. I so love the way my life is unfolding. I love what I get to do. I love the people I get to interact with. I love the stuff that they're working on and that I could have a, a seat at the table, you know, and I could just be up close watching them achieve stuff. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like this is how, this is what I think. I feel like, like, like the Harlem Renaissance. I feel like how Richard Wright and, 
and Langston Hughes and uh, Zora Neale Hurston, all these cats, they were all contemporaries. I feel like I'm amongst greatness with all my friends and the stuff that they are working on and the stuff that they're doing. And uh, and it's just it's just such an amazing thing to sort of sit at the table and watch friends do cool stuff. And 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 I get to do cool stuff. Like last night I got to hang out with the broken umbrella. I went went to rehearsals. You know, they do this improv. And I went last night around eight till about ten. And I had so much fun. And they put me in the spot. They pushed me in the spotlight to sort of be to do the stuff. And I had so much fun. It was so much fun. And I thought, this I this is what I like to be doing. <laughs> this is what I this is what I like to be doing. You know. So I can't I can't imagine, you know, I can't imagine what else could be happening. What else is missing? There's nothing missing. I'm not missing anything. You know. And I, listen, the door is not closed to to romantic. I'm I'm romantic anyway. I'm romantic all the time. I romance my friends. I don't I don't know any other way to be. I don't know any other way to be. So I. So yeah, that's just where. That's how I. That's how I think about things. You know how I how I am in the world, you know, and and once I get all the kids out the house, <laughs> uh, once I get out of the house, once I get them all out, <laughs> and they're fine, they'll be fine. They don't even know how fine they'll be. Um. You know, uh, then I, I could really sort of live into the the dreams of where I want my life to be, you know. And, you know, I'm working on my space now. And I, I have a lot of stuff. I need to divest some of this stuff. But but it's a work in progress. I, I get to do this work in progress. So I got paint. I got to start painting, put some paint on these walls. I hate painting, but I have friends who will be like, all right, give me a brush. Where do we start? So I just got to move stuff a little bit more so that they can have space to get in here and paint. Because it's going to get painted. <laughs> you know. You know. Uh, it's going to get done. So, so yeah. So I just say that to say we can, we can, we can. I I, I have a friend who says these little things, and she was a blogger, uh, but she makes these little uh, posters and things. She's like, if you could drive yourself crazy, you could drive yourself happy. <laughs> and uh, I love it. <laughs> I I I love it. You know. I love it. 
And so, so, so you're going to, you could take that, you can take that little message and you can apply it to all kinds of things. You know, if you, if you could be sad, you could be happy. If you, if you could be in despair, you could be joyous. Just because you're, you're in despair does not mean you have to live there. And we have to figure out ways to sort of pull ourselves up out of that. And I know that this season, this season is very challenging for a lot of people because everybody's not ho, ho, ho and jolly, jolly. And I, and I get it, you know, And but I would invite people to try it on, to try on some ho, 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 try it on. Behave your way into the season. Behave your way into joy. Behave your way into happiness. Behave your way into peace. Uh, and that was one of the first spiritual lessons that I learned, you know, when, when I was evolving, when I was becoming as I am becoming, um, was to behave my way into. So that it's not fake. It's not like fake it till you make it. But just, you know, behave your way into happiness. And what does that look like for you? Surely there are some things that could make you happy because unhappiness means you are focusing on something that you cannot control. You're focused on something um, that might be out of the realm of possibility. Uh, You might be focusing on some harm that was done to you. And I get that because God knows I've had a lot of harm done, you know, Um, but if you could behave your way, into something other than where you are right now. Like if you're in despair, then go do something that is the opposite of despair, you know? And this is how I got into writing love letters. This is how I got, you know, this is how I learned about Hannah Brencher by uh, uh, finding out about her story, finding her, because she was a blogger. Like we all were bloggers. And she, I think she went to Yale. She was here and she was in despair. She was leaving these little love letters all over town and places and people would find them and it would respond and then would in kind do the same thing for somebody else. And that's, and that, that lifted her. And so it, so I, I understood that. I was like, oh, it's about pulling yourself out of your own despair and going and doing focusing on somebody else and what needs to happen somewhere else, you know? And I don't, I don't say like, Oh, go serve in a soup kitchen because people are worse off than you. And that's an example for you to realize that your life is better. No, you serve in a soup kitchen because you believe people are hungry. And you want to feed them. Don't, don't put your mess off on that. But there is something to be said for doing that, for doing good in the world. There is something to be said for doing good in the world. And you can do good in the world. You know, and it doesn't have to be like, you know, huge. It can be something small as leaving a note for somebody in the library book that says, you know what? Whatever you're doing today, you are loved. You know, or when you see people on the street, if you don't want to give them money, look at them and see them. And don't see them with contempt. See them as your fellow citizens and neighbors. Just see them. (laughs) 
Oftentimes people scurry by homeless people and then they get all they get all uncomfortable. And homeless people will just stare right back at you and make you see them. And every time I can't give them money, because sometimes I just don't have it to give, I just a, a prayer has to come out of my mouth. You know, God watch over them. You know, and people get all bent out of shit. Well, if you give them money, they're gonna go buy liquor. How? I drink every day. I'd buy liquor. What are you talking about? <laughs> when you give somebody money, that's it. They get to do what they want with it. It's not a loan. You're giving it to them. And listen, if you're out on these streets, you might need a drink too. I'm just saying. Like before you make these harsh judgments, you know, people over a dollar, you make harsh, harsh judgments over a dollar, but you don't make these harsh judgments over, over your U.S. government who uses your money any old kind of way in places and spaces that you are not privy to. I'm just saying, keep it real. Like, stop being assholes. <laughs> just the season of mystery, of magic, of miracles. And you know what? You could be a miracle to somebody. You could be a miracle to somebody. You know what I mean? You know students who are struggling. Cash after them $50. You know people in your neighborhood who might be able to use a bag of groceries or a gift card to a grocery store. Leave it in their mailbox and don't let them know you did it. You know, everybody wants to take pictures of them doing good shit. I mean, oops, sorry. <laughs> it's a family show. <laughs> do something without telling people. I do it all the time. And I'm not telling you because I want to tell you what I do. I'm telling you because you build it into a spiritual practice about how you are in the world and how you want to be in the world. That's all. Just, you know, be better humans. We can be better humans. This is the season of mystery, magic, miracles. And I don't know any religious entities that's not Diwali and uh, Judaism and uh, uh, Muslims, uh, you know, uh, you know, the, 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 all the tribes of Abraham, all the tribes of uh, uh, all other spiritual leaders and guidance and prophets you know there's a lot we could do we have the power to do so many things we could do them so so yeah so I'm gonna I'm gonna finish my coffee and I'm gonna go make an egg because I need to have some breakfast and then uh, I'm going to come back with Trina Learned. Trina Learned is the inter in <laughs> interim director of a creative arts workshop. And they are celebrating their founder, uh, who, which is which is a story up uh, up on, uh, on the arts paper. They have an exhibit going on uh, for, uh, let's see, uh, what is her name? Uh, so there's a there's a whole story up uh, Audubon Arts Hill remembered in new ex exhibit. So there's an exhibit of Ann P. Uh, Layman um, of her work, and uh, it's it kicked off on December third, and it's going to run until I think January or so. But she just died. Uh, she was 94 years old, so the show runs to January 27th. 
Uh, and it's got, you know, it's going to run across three of our creative art workshops, three galleries. So you'll be able to go and see her work. Uh, but she is the founder of the Creative Arts Workshop. And I think what that's a wonderful way to celebrate somebody's creative life is to uh, give them a whole bunch of gallery space. So, so Trina's coming on to talk about all of this and what it means to them and what they're up to and how they're going to continue to celebrate uh, Anne. What's happening, Harry? What's up, Bebs? So, yeah, I'm over here playing around. We're on Instagram today. We're broadcasting on the Insta today. Okay. I'm testing it. I don't like it. You don't like it? No. I would like the whole format of, you know, portrait. You have to have it in a certain format and the cameras look small to me and all that stuff. But is a test on the Love Babs Love Talk show is on if you go to at WNHHLP on Instagram, we're broadcasting there right now. And you're listening to Love Babs Love Talk on WNHH LP 103.5 FM, your home for community radio. <laughs> and can they the, see us in Mars though? That's all I care about. <laughs> I think they see us everywhere. <laughs> um you know, I was, <laughs> I was listening to a show that um said how they're finding that this, you know, like in, in Antarctica, you have life forms that shouldn't exist under the conditions of our world. And they find that those life forms probably exist on planets that are frozen. So who knows if there's a a population of icicles <laughs> that walk around and are more intelligent than us. But yeah, so I think even icicles, you know, in uh what's the Europa? Yes. Um where they want to um actually go and check it out, but they're trying to figure out how they drill into that ice. So I mean, there may be ice people over there, you know. Now we got to worry about that. <laughs> it, it'd, be easy. it'd be easy to defeat dumbbells. We hit them with our global warming. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, Harry, you don't got good sense. You know they don't want to come here. Uh-uh. They melt quickly. Or the bacteria in our water. All we got to do is offer them a cup of water baths. <laughs> it's not much. I think they said there's like like 60% of the drinking water in America is not really drinkable. <laughs> oh, I know, Harry. That's, you know what? I'm not worried about people coming over here killing us. You know what's going to kill us? Us. Us and our foolishness around not having clean air, clean water. <laughs> well, why have clean air and water? <laughs> you know the ones who do have good water is um um the Saudis because they have a whole desalination um plant where they take their 
the water from, I don't know if it's the Red Sea or wherever they take it from, and they they process it and it's just clean water. Um, I don't know if we're going to have to do that. I mean, we should probably do that anyway. We have so many places that go through droughts that we should grab seawater and just clean it and ship it around the country. But, you know, why give people water? Yeah, I don't know. Because we, we hate people anyway, so let's just... I'm hopeful like Babs. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the opposite. She's over here ending <laughs> with hope, and I come in. <laughs> what was it that Paul called me? Paul called me something yesterday. Oh, he All right, me. I gotta go have eggs. I'll be back at 10.15. Yesterday, Paul called he called you what? Debbie Downer. <laughs> what? I mean, you are kind of hairy. Like... <laughs> I like to say, can we all just get along? <laughs> anyway, we'll be right back. Look for that link. Love Bass, Love Talk. On, now on Insta. I don't know how long we're going to last here because I don't like it. But now on Insta, look for that link because she's going to have tr Trina learned in the next hour, 1015. Look for us. Now we go look on the Insta page. I want to make your dreams come true. <laughs> so you'll be mine. I want to be yours. Will you be mine, baby? Yes, be mine. Oh, for Christmas. Christmas girl, you, you, you think you're bad, don't you? <laughs> I know you do. You said anything? Girl, I'd give you anything.
Downtown shines with colored lights and music fills the air. When you see a spark in strangers' eyes and laughter's everywhere. When the spirit warms you to the bone, even though it's freezing cold. It's Christmas, Christmas everywhere, and everywhere is home. Yeah, the customs may be different, but the message is the same. All to bring out the best in everyone, it's loved by any name. It may be snow or sandy shores with family or alone, but it's Christmas, Christmas everywhere, and everywhere is home. The world is getting smaller, and we've come to. There's something special about this time of year. Dad loves the universal need in everybody's lives. What you call it, I don't care. Just hold each other dear. If you celebrate the season with a glass of Christmas cheer, or if you fall down on your knees in thanks, 'cause that's what you believe. Doesn't matter how much time has passed, how far away you've gone, but it's Christmas, Christmas everywhere, and everywhere is home. It's Christmas, Christmas everywhere, and everywhere is home. Merry Christmas. 
chores with family or alone. But it's Christmas, Christmas everywhere. It's everywhere is home. The world is getting smaller and we've come to realize that there's something special about this time of year. Heart that loves the universal need in everybody's lives. What you call it, I don't care. Just hold each other dear. Oh, when the downtown shines with colored lights and music fills the air. When you see a spark in strangers' eyes and laughter's everywhere. When the spirit warms you to the bone, even though it's freezing cold. It's Christmas, Christmas everywhere. It's everywhere. And welcome back to the second hour of Love Babs Love Talk on Babs Rolls Ivy. Hey, Trina Learned, how are you? Good morning. I'm great. Thanks for having me. Of course, I'll have you. So, Trina Learned is the uh, interim director of a creative arts workshop, which sits right there in the uh, Audubon Arts Plaza. Uh, and they are celebrating uh, their founder who uh, passed away, uh, uh, A.N.P. Uh, Lehman. Is it Lehman? Lehman. A.N.P. Lehman, yeah. And uh, uh, it's just got a very interesting story. So let's get into it, Trina. Tell me about Anne and Lehman and what y'all are planning to do to celebrate uh, her life and the founding of Creative Arts Workshop. Fantastic. Yeah. So it's actually a great story. Uh, in uh, the early 60s, Anne Lehman uh, was an artist. 
She had a family. She was uh, a mother, a wife, um, and an artist. She had a family and had a lot of friends who were also artists. They had found an abandoned or a vacant building in New Haven. It's the old foot school and thought, wouldn't that be a great place to have some art studios? Except they all had studios or someplace to make their art. What they really needed was a place to teach. They wanted to have students and they were very aware of the fact that Yale, Pear School of Art, some of the other college and universities had art programs for matriculated students. But where could people go and experience art, particularly children? So they were looking for an opportunity to really establish a community-based uh, program to teach art. So they got together and they founded something that they called Creative Arts Workshop. Their first home was in the basement of what's the Slade Eli house. Oh. They literally kind of got some cans of paint and whitewashed everything down there to make it look a little less dreary and then uh, traipsed people in and out of the basement. Then they went over to Michigan Israel, which was the temple that was then converted later on into Educational Center for the Arts. They rented that basement. And that was the time that the Audubon Arts District was just being developed. So uh, the Arts Council was looking for people to take lots of land and build. And uh, this small group of people, uh, Ann Lehman had led the incorporation of Creative Arts Workshop in 1961 is when our articles of incorporation were signed by Ann. She was the she was official leader um, and they took a leap of faith and bought the land that we're now on. And for two hundred fifty thousand dollars, they managed to build the building that we're currently in. Wow. So, yeah, it was um, it was a lot. They, they, but the first year they even got just by word of mouth, people telling other people, they got 150 kids to come and do art. And um, it's been going ever since and taught right up until she died just, just a year ago. Um, it'll be a year ago later this month. And she was in her nineties, right? She was, she like was. she's 90, 94 when she passed away. She was here teaching her class up until a month or two before her death. It was amazing. She was, but that was Anne. She was tenacious. She was wonderfully, um, she was just always so vital, so enthusiastic about what she did. And she believed in her students and she believed in her own artwork. So she was here perpetuating her sculpture studio. Um, and the work she did, it's hard for us to describe it here on radio, but she's a metal sculptor. She had some very large pieces. Many people may not realize it, but almost everyone in New Haven knows one of her pieces. And that's a piece called Intersections. It's these two cur curly red arrows that are on the corner of Trumbull Street and Whitney Avenue, where Whitney becomes um, Temple Street, right on that corner. Oh, yes. That's her sculpture. So that's one of her more famous things out in the community. So this was a woman who she loved playing with fire. She she was great with a welding torch um, and really loved the idea that metal had such durability. So she worked in metal. She worked in a couple other medium as well, but primarily we think of her as a metal sculptor. And that was what she taught here at CAW. Mm -hmm. That's amazing to have that kind of visionary because that that whole, like the, that's the era of New, New Shank 
and you know, and the creator yes. of the Arts Council. So I would imagine that these people were very visionary in in their thinking about forward how to how to how to keep art and inst- institutionalize art so that it becomes a part of everybody's everyday practical lives. So um, that must not have been easy for her to be a woman who can like work with uh, uh, materials that people don't necessarily associate with women working with. <laughs> right. Right. Her, her, um, her family, um, uh, her uncles, her father were engineers. They actually, they built the old arena before the Coliseum, but the arena that's was in this plot, that's now the, uh, FBI building. And, uh, so she had grown up with that sense of, of those things were possible about a sense of really building things. I think it's fascinating that she built these incredibly sturdy structures as well as delicate, beautiful welds where she took small pieces of wire and made them into these beautiful objects. But then at the same time, she built a program that lived, that she was part of for 60 plus years Mm -hmm. um, and still thrives. So she really, she really was a builder. Um, And she, she's written our history. She's written several essays about it and which are here in our exhibition. And she describes her colleagues who helped her found CAW as rabble-rousing wives. So this wasn't (laughs) about their husbands. This was about women who were primarily seen in the early 60s as wives. That was their identity. And this was their their true passion. I love it. So how long have y'all been, were you planning this before, um, before her passing? Was this, was she expected to be here for this or... Um, we had a we had an honorary um, a wonderful event honoring her um, about three months before she passed. So fall a year ago, we had uh, an event. It was a concert that her son Peter um, uh, gave with an ensemble that he had that he's part of, and that was a benefit for scholarships. That was one of Anne's passion was making sure people could come to Creative Arts Workshop regardless of their means. Um, but this this was really once Anne passed, all of us at Creative Arts Workshop felt that we really, really wanted to honor her. Um, ironically, all the years she'd been associated, she'd never had a one person show here. Really? So she had had some of her work exhibited, but she always shared the spotlight with a couple of other artists. Um, and then we were very, very fortunate that in working with the family, first of all, Anne was prolific. Um, there's an irony now that uh, her son Peter told me just this weekend that she would often give away a lot of her work. And he would say, I love that piece. That was such a wonderful piece. Why would you give it away? She said, I'll just make another one. So she was very, very prolific. Um, which meant that her estate then had um, a really wonderful collection of art that she had chosen to live with in her home. And that estate is working with us to bring that art to the public to bid on. It is uh, the art that's here in this exhibition is for sale. We have an online auction and um, and those proceeds will benefit Creative Arts Workshop. So this was another way, um, even um, posthumously, that Anne is able to perpetuate what she created here. Um, these are much needed funds and they will go to supporting all the programs that Anne had developed. But we were lucky that the estate had a, a very large collection and um, it's quite varied. I think people will be surprised when they see it. 
that um, they may associate one or two pieces of metalwork with Anne's um, with Anne's product, but in fact, there are various other sorts of things here. I think some of the most fascinating are what we call little maquettes. They're tiny models um, because when she started doing large scale public pieces, she couldn't fabricate them in her own workshop. So she'd make a little model and then she'd work with an outside fabricating company to translate that model into something that was maybe 10 or 20 times larger than the model. Um, I think her wow. most famous of those are, uh, she did a series of bike racks around town. Yes. Um, so I'm afraid I, I went to scout them out and um, they're not particularly in very good repair anymore, um, but they were quite delightful. There are things online about them. And we have one here at CAW that spells out the letters CAW, which of course mm -hmm. means Creative Arts Workshop. So how hard was it to pick the pieces to, like who curated the show? Ah, well, first of all, we were very, very lucky to, um, in keeping with the spirit that that we have been really attached to here at CAW recently, which is to involve mo more and more and wider community at CAW. We worked with Thea Buxbaum, whom many people oh, yeah. know from Keller Liddell Gallery and from the, the what I'll call the Westville Renaissance. Uh, Thea and her husband, Gar Waterman, um, have been friends of Anne's and her family's for over 30 years. So the combination of the fact that Thea um, is a professional in, in um, arts and gallery management um, and has a wonderful eye, her husband being a sculptor, and that they were family friends made her the perfect choice for this. Mm. Uh, and I was most grateful because there were so many ways that Thea understood um, either Anne's intent or her wishes or just um, just Thea knew her family better or knows her family better than I do. So it was a wonderful opportunity. And um, anybody who's listening to this program and who knows Thea knows that Thea always brings wonderful energy um, and a great creative spirit. So uh, I'll go out on a limb here and say that this is one of the most beautiful shows I ever remember seeing at CAW. And that's thanks to Thea's genius. So I love it. So, so you're going to do it across all three galleries in the space. Yes. And it go as it kicked off on December 3rd and it's going to run through January 27th. Uh, 25th. Yep. 25th, um, okay. So, um, so it'll be, uh, through for, 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 you know, a full two months. Um, it was a big undertaking. So we've been working on this show for about the last uh, five, well, about last six months. So it's a big undertaking. We wanted to make sure people had ample time to see it. It's a busy time of year. Um, and we have some, pro I mentioned that it's an online auction. We have some things in our small shop that are objects of Anne's that are just outright for sale. And then we also have some products. We have a calendar, we have a catalog of the exhibition. We have a calendar that has 12 of Anne's images. We have some note cards. Um, we have what we, we call some swag, some Anne swag um, for people to enjoy. Oh, I love it. So y'all thought of everything. And it sounds like you thought about all price points, like so that everybody could have a piece of this, of, of, of her art life. Thank you for saying that. I mean, even for instance, we have individual note cards. So um, they're, they're four of our favorite images of Anne's work. And so um, even if you just take the note card and put it on your desk, just to remind you, um, they'll make you happy, but yes. 
I we love wanted, it. We wanted people to share Anne as much as possible. All right. So, so how are you doing as interim director? How are you doing? I'm great. Um, thank you. What a nice thing to ask. This place is fabulous. And I didn't expect to be quite so captivated, but I am. And the energy here is wonderful. And I feel that this is an opportunity to just continue um, strengthening CAW. Uh, we are like all arts organizations in New Haven. We continue to work and work very hard to make sure that our resources are as stable and um, sufficient as possible. That includes, of course, financial resources, but also just to make sure that students get a chance to come. So we had we had about 130% growth this past semester over the same period the year before. So we're really starting to see that people are coming back out and joining classes uh, post-COVID. Our new uh, term starts January 4th, um, and we have um, over 60 classes that we're offering um, in the term that runs January and February. So, uh, and we've already had very robust uh, applications, or I should say, in uh, registrations and enrollments. So things are going well that way. Um, this, you know, this, everything is just constantly changing here. So um, we're just very excited about our chance to work more and more with the community. This year we have ECA, Educational Center for the Arts, has four of its um, visual arts classes in our studios. And having that energy of students coming into the class four days a week, into the building four days a week, and um, just really watching what they produce is a oh, real yeah. Because they, they, they show up at the Arts Council, too, because they use the sandbox. Of course. And, uh, so Audubon Place is like teeming with young people. <laughs> That's right. Well, and it's important. I mean, I am very proud of the fact that we have people and layman's generation who continue to take classes here. But I also think it's absolutely wonderful when I see four-year-olds come in and take classes. And then the high school students who have astonishing talent and wonderful energy. So um, so we want people to believe that anybody can come here and experience the process of art. Mm. So how many students do y'all have, you know, in a, in, a, in at any given time? I mean, 60 classes is a lot of classes. It is. Um, and uh, they're not, uh, classes run various different lengths. So some will run the whole seven week period, the eight week period. Others will run three or four sessions. We may have some workshops, a, a weekend workshop and so forth. Um, but we'll have on, on any term, we'll have anywhere from four to 600 students. Um, so lot, a lot of different people come through our, come through our doors. So tell me about the, the use of the gallery space and, and what do y'all have planned um, uh, for the for the 2024 year. Right. Well, much of that is still in the planning and I don't think I'm quite ready to sort of pull the drape off it and reveal things, but I can't <laughs> tell you. I was <laughs> hoping to get a little you. scoop, a little bit of a scoop. <laughs> uh, for, um, for several years now, we've had this wonderful series um, called Made Visible, which runs uh, during the month of February um, to commemorate Black History Month. And we do have a really fabulous show planned for that. As I say, I'm not quite ready to make the announcement, but I do want to um, assure the community that this Made Visible series, which has been vital for us, is really important and will continue to perpetuate. 
we have a couple other shows planned. Um, again, not yet to be announced, but um, at least I'll tease. And that is um, something to commemorate uh, International Women, uh, Women's Day. So that's March 8th. We will probably bring back our edible, um, edible book tea. That's an event that um, people sculpt food to, um, oh. to somehow replicate. Um, it's usually a sweet, like a cake, and it replicates um, some book that they've read. Um, and then we serve tea and people come in, they buy a ticket and they serve, we serve all pieces of these desserts. So they all get devoured at the end of the day. So that happens in early April, that will be coming up. Um, before that, we have what we call our XOXO show. That's primarily a show by our bookbinding um, students and practitioners, but it also has other um, handicrafts and beautiful objects that have been made by our other studios. So that happens the first two weeks of February. We have a couple student shows coming up. We, um, in part of our hosting of the four classes from Educational Center for the Arts, their senior show and year-end art show will happen here in late spring. So lots of pretty exciting things happening. Um, and um, now, do I'm, you all run summer programs, Trina? Do you have a do you have a summer component? We do run summer programs. So um, particularly uh, mindful of the fact that families need to be able to plan in advance. We are um, just about to publish our summer catalog of all of our children's programs. And uh, in the last couple of years, um, we haven't been able to make it as robust as has traditionally been, but we're back to that level now. So lots of offerings throughout the entire sort of school vacation period of summer. And then um, we'll, we continue to have classes. Um, we actually have in many ways, we have different groups of students who come in the summer because they have a different flexibility. And um, that's been really exciting. We've For several years, we've had a, a program too in the summer with Hope for New Haven. Um, mm -hmm. We expect that to continue this year. And, um, and we're looking for other ways to really broaden how we can um, not only bring people to CAW during the summer, but help people um, get through some of the logistical challenges that families, um, parents have uh, during the summer when school is in session. Um, but we're here and uh, we want people to be here with us. Oh, okay. All right. I, I'm glad to see Creative Arts Workshop thriving. So so this exhibit honoring Anne uh, Lehman, uh, what, what does her family think of all of this? And, and I know they've been cooperative because they've turned over her artwork to y'all, but what, what are they thinking and what do they make of all of this? Oh, that's a wonderful question. It's actually, for me, it's been a huge privilege to work with her family. So Anne, um, Anne and her husband had three children and the, the surviving child, Peter, was, uh, was really part of our, we had a very small core committee um, based of Joy Ford, our former board president, Kathy DeMeo, our current board um, secretary, Peter Lehman, myself, and Thea Buxbaum. So the five of us were um, the core that, that created this show. Peter was wonderfully involved. He helped us uh, pick and gather the work that would be in the show. Peter designed the entire catalog for the show. 
which um, for me, I don't mean to embarrass him, but for me is truly a labor of love because it, it it's a beautiful catalog and it really, it really shows that Peter had such a connection um, with this artwork and of course with his mother. Um, the many of the grandchildren came um, both on, on Friday night, we had a preview um, event before the show opened and then Sunday they came here and Peter was involved also in the panel that we did on Sunday afternoon for, for the public. So uh, Peter has continued to be very involved and that's, I mean, this, this too was a legacy that he lived with and uh, it was really wonderful to share this experience with him to get the show ready and, and up. Now, is he an artist? Are any of the grandchildren artists? Or, or are there any more artists in the family? Um, I think they're all quite, um, quite amazingly skilled. Uh, Peter is, um, is uh, both a musician, an, a, a really quite a talented musician, and um, he has a degree, an, an MFA from Yale in graphic design. So, um, so he did, um, he got some of the bug for sure. <laughs> so now do you, do you have any favorite pieces, Trina? Like, are there pieces that you're like, oh my gosh. Oh, you know, that's such an interesting question because um, not many people would have known this, but we stored um, most of this work here on site in a storage area in our building for, um, for about four or five months. And it was all jammed in and some of it had come right out of Anne's garden or fields. And so it was a, a little rustic, I'll use that word. And um, and I would often go in this room and take a look at something and it all looked sort of jammed in and wasn't so sure. And then when we started to pull it out and started to hang the exhibition, everything just took on this, not only this beautiful life, but this wonderful dignity, um, suddenly each object had its own identity. So there are a couple of objects that um, I particularly love. And, and I think Thea Buxbaum was very clever in the way that she um, positioned them. One is a spectacular, it's almost four feet wide and almost two feet deep um, metal bow. It's a beautiful oh. shape thing and it hangs so it hangs on the wall so that if you're standing outside CAW 24-7, you can look in and you see this spectacular bow. And that bow is a fabulous depiction of the fact that Anne played with materials that were very hard and made them look fluid and flowing and, and tactile and soft. So that bow is really, um, is really one of my favorites. Um, and I like the maquettes for the, the various bike racks that she did. Um, um, boy, it's hard to pick a favorite. It, it is. Um, and, <laughs> I, uh, I mean, I get, I get it. Yeah. And and there's quite a bit of range. Um, there are various different things that Anne did. So, um, so yeah. Mm. yeah, that's great stuff. Now, does she have any uh, surviving colleagues or contemporaries uh, that, that uh, will come or... Uh, lend, lend some thoughts to this or? Um, we did actually, uh, I'm so glad you asked that question because one of the other projects, we've tried to do some um, tangential projects that really um, give a chance for us to magnify the experience of Anne. Um, so Thea Buxbaum, 
in our hallways has put up oversized um, essays, an essay that Anne wrote about the founding of CAW and a couple of other uh, things. We commissioned a poem by Judith Liebman um, about Anne's work. And then in the, um, in the late summer, working with Southern Connecticut State University's program called um, uh, Arts Administration and Cultural Advocacy, we had an intern, Sarah Daltal is her name, and Sarah was here for three months collecting oral histories from people who knew Anne. Wow. So she compiled a wonderful series of interviews of people who were either Anne's contemporaries, who were also teaching when Anne was teaching, or her students to capture their memories and give us a chance to uh, to also codify that and make sure that we have that in our in our records. So we're in the process of putting all of those things on our website so that people have access to them. The panel discussion that happened on Sunday was uh, that Frank Mitchell moderated was not only Peter Lehman talking about his experience with his mother as an artist, Susan Smith, who was the uh, executive director here for 27 years, uh, spoke. Um, and Sherry Block, who uh, as a child lived next door to Ann Lehman and is now the head of the sculpture studio and studied sculpture um, and metalsmithing with Ann for years. And Kim Weston, who really wonderfully represents the sort of the next generation of what is community art, particularly uh, help um, working with children, what does community art mean in, in New Haven and, and how to perpetuate that. So that, uh, we videotape that and we will have that on our website. And then Raheem Nelson did um, an illustration of the event as it was going on. So he sat in the gallery. Oh yeah, he's quite talented like that. Isn't he yes. amazing? Yes. He's, one of, yes. he's one of our faculty and he, his work is so captivating. So we also have um, have that um, and that will go on our website. So we're we're looking for as many ways as possible to be able to take this stone that years ago, Anne Lehman dropped in the middle of a pond and continue those ripples just moving out and out and out further and further, so. Oh, I love it. That's a one, I love, that's a nice gesture. Cause, because, you know, I think things can get lost if people don't record people talking about things or remembering things. And so that's a lovely way to sort of take that into the future so that young other people can find the conversations that were had uh, with her contemporaries. I agree. I, I love agree. that. I love that. All right. So, so it, it opened on December 3rd. It runs through January 25th. So people can go, they could go online. Yep. They can go participate online. Participate in the auction, right? That's right. And um, come see the exhibit. Um, Creative Arts Workshop is always open and free. So, um, you can come to the exhibit um, whenever you come to Creative Arts Workshop. You can also see it any time of the day or night from looking outside. You'll see part of it at least. Um, <laughs> but we're open to visitors uh, five, six days a week, um, Monday through Saturday, um, and would love to have people participate in any way that they can. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. And and, and there are things for sale too. Like if you missed the auction, um, you can actually go into the space and Go into the yes. into the gift shop and buy things. Exactly, exactly. And yeah. this is the season to gift people things. So that's right. 
a piece of artwork is forever. <laughs> and it will make Creative Arts Workshop last forever. So thank you. Yes, because you all are doing this uh, to raise money for uh, for the work that to, to continue the scholarship work that you're doing. That's right. That's right. That's the way that we can really honor Anne is to keep on doing what she started all those mm -hmm. years ago. Okay. Well, Trina, it is lovely to talk to you and to see you. Thank you. And I, I enjoyed this conversation and I'm going to make my way over there to see this, this exhibit. I got a whole month. So, uh, and while the weather is gorgeous, I'll get over there. Terrific. Yeah. Great. Brings so is there any any last thing you want to say before we sign off? No, I think this was wonderful. And I really appreciate the chance to have a conversation about one of my favorite subjects. Thank you. Well, well thank you. And uh, enjoy the holidays. And uh, I'll be in there soon enough. <laughs> okay. <laughs> have a good one. Thank you, Trina. Me too. Take All care. Right. All right. Take care. Okay. All right, Harry Droz, we are out. Thank you so much for a wonderful uh, morning. And uh, I'll be back tomorrow. I'm going to have a guest tomorrow. Let me, let me check. Because, you know, I'll get to talking. And before I know it, I'll be like, ooh. Uh, I thought I was going to have somebody from the uh, modern opera come on. But I haven't secured that just yet. So who knows? We'll see. Anything? Yeah, listen, anything will happen in the next couple of hours. We'll see. Um, but, yeah, so if you're around, if you're in Audubon, if you're downtown New Haven, you must stop by uh, uh, Audubon Plaza because that's like, you know, the arts hub, the neighborhood music school is there, creative arts workshop, arts council of greater New Haven, ECA, uh, community foundation, New Haven ballet. I mean, it's just chock full of art. So go over the creative arts workshop and uh, take a look, see at uh, the founding founder, uh, Ann P. Lehman's uh, work. I can't wait to see it. And, you know, I'm a sucker for note cards, so I'll be buying up note cards like you would believe. So I will see y'all tomorrow. Tomorrow. Uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Ooh. Ooh.